You're listening to Coding Blocks, Episode 9. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcasting app. And visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and more. Send your feedback, questions, and rants, and comments to comments at codingblocks.net and follow us on Twitter at codingblocks and on Facebook at facebook.com slash codingblocks. Uh, don't forget uh, Google Plus there. Plus.google.com slash communities slash one one three four three seven zero six eight nine zero zero five five nine two seven six four four five. Right, do we need to repeat that? <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening in the car, we know you got that. Yeah. Hold on, here it goes. No, I'm no rewind, get a pencil. <laughs> All right, so, um, and with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. And today we have a special guest. His name is Vlad Hrebach. Hello. And uh, he's going to be joining us and be speaking about aspectacular here very shortly so uh joe's gonna get us some uh podcasting news we've got a lot of follow-up on the last couple episodes and so we have a few things we want to mention uh first of all episode seven on reddit we had a, a really nice discussion with someone named ground wolf and a few other people and uh, we'll have that link in the show notes but um had some really uh, some interesting things to say about the solid principles kind of contrary to what we talked about and an alternate point of view so i thought that was cool and also, uh, around the same time period, actually, there was an episode of .NET Rocks with Alan Stevens, who was uh, arguing for a more pragmatic approach to software versus kind of the craftsmanship approach that we were talking about in the solid episode. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. As well. And speaking of Reddit, I finally posted my solid tactoe solution up on GitHub and got some really good feedback on slash R slash C sharp. And uh, that was really cool. So I'm still uh, learning a lot and still finding out how difficult it is to really try to do something uh, by the book. So I uh, love for you guys to did, take a look at that. Did any of your classes, did they do anything? Um, there's a couple classes that actually do stuff, and the rest is basically just empty interfaces. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's something, it's, it is like 40 something classes with 1,200 lines of code, but most of that is actually test code. But shouldn't you only have one empty interface? Because then all your other empties are repeating the first one, so they're not dry. <laughs> well, there's I empty, but then there's a bunch that implement that. <laughs> now that's solid. Yeah, solid as rock. <laughs> So uh, also, um, this actually harkens back to episode one. Uh, one of the things we talked about a little bit were the limitations of interfaces and things you can't do, like you can't implement uh, interfaces on existing code, like third-party libraries, and you also can't um, say that anonymous classes are uh, meet certain interfaces. But this uh, company named Econ Benefits put out a library on GitHub, open source, and MIT-licensed, which is called impromptu interface, and it lets you do just that. It basically uses a kind of dynamic, dynamic proxy approach, which we'll talk about later, to uh, slap some interfaces onto existing stuff. So thought that was really cool. Also, <laughs> we've got a lot of alsos this time. There's a new Pluralsight course from Troy Hunt about OWASP and web security, and uh, he's actually the one that we talked about before who did that uh, OWASP and .NET. Um, yeah, he had a great uh, Pluralsight uh, video whenever all of the different OWASP um, a type attack types and everything was really good. Yeah, and then that was uh, I think I think it was out in 2010. We'll have to verify that, but this is basically kind of like a refresh of that. It looks like so. Really excited to watch that. 
And uh, hey, where are you going to be? Yeah. So where am I going to be? Well, we're, this prop, this podcast will probably come out after the uh, Windows Azure Boot Camp 2014 in Atlanta, but I will be there. So make sure you come up and say hi if you're going to be there too. Um, also, the Great Wide Open Conference in Atlanta. I, Joe, will be there, and uh, so if you listen to the show, come up, say hi, and uh, let me know how you feel about it. Has anyone else me? got Tom Petty playing in their mind when they <laughs> heard that announcement? Don't come around here no more. <laughs> uh, I was thinking more like Into the Great Wide Open, but yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> Better than free falling. <laughs> All right. All right. So, again, we have Vlad here, and he has created... A, uh, a solution that is a little more than just a little popular. It's called the UltiDev Ulti Dev web server. And he's had some pretty major clients of that. And we'll let him talk about that in just a second. And then he's also the author of Aspectacular, which is going to be the focus of this show here in just a minute. But uh, Vlad, you want to fill us in real quick on, on UltiDev? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So UltiDev web server, it's, uh, it's my little pet project that I've been doing for a while. Uh, I started back in 2006 with a with the offshoot of uh, what was a, a Microsoft Cassini uh, web server example. Uh, I was doing something else at the time and decided that I just uh, put this little example in the uh, rapid in a Windows service and just put it out there and see what people do with it. Uh, to my astonishment, and uh, it was used um, many, 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 many times by lots of people, like hundreds. No, it started with hundreds, but then. Uh, that in when it's thousands and uh, recently uh, it went over a million installations as of uh, that's November. crazy that's crazy yeah so uh, it, it's all all of the web server uh, product line product product iterations that are probably like uh, so, around ten right now so so as as you dear listener can hear Vlad is not exactly from around here <laughs> and and I there's a funny story behind this because. <laughs> <laughs> One of the very first times I ever met Vlad, we uh, we happened to go out to eat, and you know we're making small talk as you do, right? And so I, I ask him, I'm like, "Hey, man, so uh, what do you do for fun?" <laughs> and his answer was, "I write web server." <laughs> and, and I swear to God, both me and Outlaw just kind of looked at each other like, "I don't think I he think there's a language the barrier here." <laughs> I, I don't believe he understood the question. And they come to find out he understood perfectly. Like that's what he likes to do. He, he really does the web write web server. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in, in my country, everyone lo- writes web servers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I felt like I did nothing with my life. Suddenly. Yeah, exactly. Like all of a sudden, our programming prowess amounted to nothing. You know, all in like one statement. So, I, I got a skateboard. <laughs> yeah, and I actually, I heard this story, and uh, I was like. Oh, I think I'm going to like this guy. <laughs> so, yes, that's Vlad, and uh, he is he is an accomplished uh, developer and one of the better I've seen. So uh, we're, we're excited much. to have him on here. Thank so. you. Yeah, so as uh, Alan mentioned, we're you know the main topic of this, uh, this show is going to be around Aspectacular. But before we get into that, we really want to cover a little bit of history about, well, what are Aspects? So Aspects is is a is a concept that is not really new, but it's a way of implementing cross-cutting concerns. And cross-cutting concerns is all of the fluff and different things that we do around our business logic. When so, I, okay. So, so if I could give an example on that, then so maybe uh, the c- code that you would re- often repeat inside of inside of a method, right? Like null checking or logging. Or logging. logging. Logging would be another great example. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, logging is something that comes to mind uh, really readily. But what what how we all happen to write our our business logic? We always start with just something real simple, just calling the database, getting data back, returning them, and this is how we tell our our managers that yeah, we are done ahead of schedule and it's working fine. And then later we find out that something is a little bit too slow and something is. Uh, some connection is brittle and requires the re- retry, and then we want to find why this does certain places the code works slower than other places. We want to uh, to performance monitor it. So we start finding out all those all those things that are uh, that are not necessarily fun- functionality of business logic, but actually required uh, to be implemented. And usually, almost invariably, it's an afterthought. And it should be an afterthought. And what uh, aspects are are classes that allow you to implement those afterthoughts exactly as afterthoughts, not mingling them and mixing them into your actual business logic. And properly done business uh, AOP um, programming of the uh, DAL and business tier is nothing more than allowing you to simply write what you would write as a 15-year-old programmer just hitting the database, returning data back, and not thinking about anything else. Yeah, yeah that, so it's nice. Your classes really get to, to be you know very simple and, and you know as an S and solid uh, single responsibility. It's basically doing just what you think it's doing. It's not messing with the logging or the security or automatic retry logic. It's just doing what the method name says. Yeah, it's uh, he explained that perfectly for the cross-cutting concern. So um, it really does help you keep your, ki- your code just... Easy to read. Yeah, great explanation. Yeah. yeah. And on the subject of SRP, uh, there's uh, one Mike, uh, Michael actually just mentioned, the don't repeat yourself. And uh, it's another acronym that kind of ties into this a little bit. And it lets you get some of those, um, you know, things like logging or security checks. Instead of copying and pasting those, you know, one, two, three lines all over the place, you can it, you can extract that into one class, have it one spot, and then basically configure it to happen where you want it to happen. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, and so uh, what's about this with the uh, design patterns of the interceptors and the decorators? Yeah, that's just uh, if you're a design pattern nerd, if you've got the Gang of Four book, then uh, the something that's going to end up coming up a lot in this show are basically interceptors or decorators, which are a way of kind of adding functionality to um, to functionality without actually modifying the code underneath, which is kind of another acronym there, the OCP, the Open Close Principle from Solid Episode Number 7. And uh, so if you just wanted to look that up, that's something we're going to be talking about quite a bit, I, I imagine. And, and so one of the questions that came up, and, and I had actually done a little bit of research on prior, is is AOP IOC? So, uh, you said a whole lot of letters there. You're right, right. So AOP, aspect-oriented <laughs> e- programming, uh, EFG. right? <laughs> yeah, we're going to get the acronyms out of the way up front, yeah, and we'll, so, we can move on. Yeah, so AOP, aspect-oriented programming, which obviously we're talking about here. And then IOC is inversion of control. And really, they do they basically address two different problems. AOP is exactly what Vlad just mentioned a minute ago about cross-cutting concerns, your, your logging, your retries, you know, anything like that, that that needs to be tacked on top of things. IOC is more about being able to inject dep- dependencies, which we did talk about in uh, Episode 7 quite a bit. And, and the difference is, is IOC is more used for making sure that that you're not newing up code. It's it's so that dependencies are there at, at the time that the class is called, and it's actually usually done via a framework for you for creating and newing up these projects, where AOP 
is a completely different concern. This is more about what are the additional things that you need to tack on to code that exists. So it, one AOP again, you know, what do you need to wrap around this thing to make it better? IOC, how do you actually instantiate your classes? That's really two different things. Right, but you're talking about IOC container specifically. Yes. Not the IOC pattern. Correct. Yeah, because uh, I would like to point out that AOP is, in the broad sense, it's still uh, IOC inversion of control pattern because that's you, you are intercepting and in this um, in this context, you can think of many more types of inversion of control. For example, uh, overriding a virtual function is also inversion of control. Supplying a delegate is inversion of control. And pretty much, you, if you started with programming Windows in 1990s, you had to write those event handlers. That also is inversion of control. And inversion of control is phenomenal. Uh, pattern. It's uh, one of the most useful for to to keep yourself dry. Uh, <laughs> do not repeat yourself, and uh, to to make sure that your code is highly reusable. And with with the advent of uh, latest uh, features in C sharp, that makes C sharp um, much more functional as a language. Um, it it really adds to the inversion of control as a pattern a lot, and it makes your code is really uh, makes your code really. Uh, expressive and clean. So, if we go, if we were to go really nerdy of whether AOP is AOC, oh, I think we're as, already there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're already nerdy. Let, let, let's. Yeah, yeah. As, as Steve Gibson would say, our propeller hats are on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's actually using IOC. Uh, IOC is a pattern, right. and uh, I, I'm big big uh, fan of uh, IOC as a pattern. Not necessarily a huge fan of IOC as a IOC container, but uh, AOP, yeah. It's kind of there. Yeah, and that's one thing I noticed um, with uh, – I've been messing around with Ninject a lot, particularly on Solid Tactile, is that uh, the aspect-oriented um, programming frameworks, they feel like that. They, they've got the same kind of feel where you're dealing with a, uh, like a proxy object. And so uh, they just kind of – they feel like they're in the same category to me. But well, maybe it's a proxy crazy. pattern. There you go. So, okay, so, let, so let's get into this. Uh, as, as the AOP frameworks – fall into two usually fall into two one of two categories right there's the interception style and the injection style or or aisle weaving uh type libraries right so uh dynamic proxy would be a big one in the in the interception category post sharp would be a very popular one in the uh aisle weaving uh in camp so when you say aisle weaving you don't mean it's like changing my il do you uh yes i do in fact, so okay, yeah, so so let's get into that. Black then, magic. <laughs> yeah, there's a, it's a post compile step that will take your IL, it'll find where there's where you have your aspects uh called in, it'll instantiate them, serialize them and uh put them back into that into that I, modified IL. And that works? And somehow it does some it does work. It's crazy. I have Imagine. a hard enough time doing things the normal way. <laughs> Instead of going after the already compiled code. Yeah, that's, <laughs> nice. a, that's a really cool way of doing things, though. Yeah. And, and there's really about three different types of ways of doing this. Uh, there, you have your attributes, which you can decorate. You have the configuration, which is typically done through, like, uh, you know, config files, XML files, and that kind of thing. And then there's your inline type aspects, which uh, we'll be talking about here in just a little bit. 
So as I mentioned in the IL weaving, you know, PostSharp is one example in the in the Java world of Aspect J. The cons or let's start with the pros. Why don't we be positive about this? And so the pros of doing the IL weaving would be that it's uh less intrusive, right? You don't necessarily have to have the the source in order to apply an aspect to it. That's bizarre. Yeah, but it's cool though, right? You could just apply an aspect to somebody else's code. Yep. Yeah. This, this sounds like something that you were wanting to do back when we were talking about interfaces before. Yep. Uh, applying an interface to somebody else's code. Oh, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I have to think about that. I have to chew on that one some more. <laughs> right. Um, that is cool, though. So I could take a, a third party library and I could add logging, you know, like around the method yep, calls. Exactly. Yeah, that's really cool. And including like performance um, testing and stuff like that. I can see how long methods take to run, what methods are getting called, what order. That's that's really powerful stuff. Yeah. So that's the advantage of, of doing that post compile step. We'll get you, though. It does make the debugging a little bit more difficult. It's not impossible. But it does make it more difficult, and uh, and specific to PostSharp, you can provide uh, compile time validation as well as architectural validation. So, if you want to make sure that your aspect, um, you know, a certain class is only used in a particular way, or uh, only used by classes named with a certain name or in a certain namespace, anything like that, you could actually create um, aspects to do that validation for you and throw uh, compilation errors within Studio. That the user would see. You could also throw warnings too if you wanted to, but you'd probably want to throw an error so that no one would actually ignore it. Um, and uh, yeah, so but there is this is coming downside specific to Post Sharp though. It's not uh, not all of the features are free. So um, the architectural constraints that I just mentioned that's not in the free version of Post Sharp. So um, and it's not cheap. It's like three hundred twenty nine you know funky e's euros. So yeah, that's, funky that's e's. a good amount of money. I, I think I got some extra funky e's. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it it it's not cheap, and it's on a by seat uh, license basis. So, um, that but that's depending on which version you want it, though, right? There is a free version. In all fairness, there is a free version of PostSharp that can get you a lot of the way there. And I, I still think the biggest thing for me is just that uh, the debugging. You know, it seems a little scary, but I haven't got a lot of experience with it. So I imagine they've worked out quite a few kinks over the years. I think Aspect J came out uh, first release in two thousand one, so this is not exactly a new concept. Yeah, PostSharp is a has got quite the following, and there's actually a whole uh, PostSharp Ultimate, I believe, with uh, uh, open source aspects that are out there in the wild. Yeah, it seems like every conference I read about has some sort of PostSharp presentation. So, that was it for the uh, IL weaving um, type. Another kind of, kind of pattern for aspect-oriented uh, programming is the interceptor pattern. And this is where you have, um, like my, Michael uh, mentioned earlier, a dynamic proxy or just a proxy that actually um, kind of wraps your calls and utilize that to proxy those objects and methods. And what's nice about that is that you can debug it and there's less magic going on, so you, it's, I think it's easier to read and easier to see what's going on. And I also think it's easier to test. And uh, some common frameworks that that implement this pattern are, you know, for one, Aspectacular, which we're going to be talking a lot about coming up. Also, uh, Castle Dynamic Proxy, um, Unity, Ninject. There are some downsides, though. Performance is an issue, and um, it's it does require code changes. You know, we mentioned not being able, not having to have the source for something like PostSharp. But uh, this is uh, a little bit different. We're actually going to be literally intercepting these calls and proxying them to another object. So, 
So that you know, that's a bit of a limit, limitation. Some of these frameworks, particularly Castle Dynamic Proxy, it's, it's got some additional limitations like requiring virtual methods, which is a little gross. Uh, but you know, pros and cons. Let's talk about as spectacular, right? Sure. So, so Vlad, why don't you uh, why don't you give us a little bit of a, a rundown on it? Uh, sure. Yeah, the the uh, story of as spectacular started uh, a couple of years ago when I was implementing a um, like run on mail. Um, business logic uh, tier that was based on uh, anti-framework and was talking to SQL Server database and with uh, with Link it's all beautiful I really I'm really enjoying writing it uh, because I really like Link just for the record to put it put it out there um, <laughs> wait wait um, query syntax or lambda I hope I, I so hope you would not you would not put me on the spot you know what I go through phases and uh, currently I'm in a lambda phase there okay. you go. Okay, good. But, there you go. Right answer. Wait, <laughs> wait. No, this is not it. Uh, no, that was I it. Think okay, we're going to move on. My heart belongs to actual link syntax. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. <laughs> I didn't hear that. We're talking about how spectacular, man. I'm Why are you bringing up link? <laughs> yeah, stay on topic, guys. Right, right. All right, all right. So, uh, and uh, I noticed that uh, although the the... I, I was looking at my code, and I was able to put most of, of the uh, gross things, uh, thank you, Joe, for putting plenty in my, in my mind, uh, like, for example, instantiation of DB context. I, I, I put it away so my code looked clean. It, it would just call the, the method, the, the business logic method or the DAO method, and uh, it, it would be very clean. And then, of course, I still had to um, to, uh, to handle exceptions in the in the caller tier, which was web application tier. Um, and then later, I would have to add uh, user audit trail logging on top of that. And after I, I added two of these, I thought, okay, now I have two, and that means that I don't want to keep throwing stuff on top of it. I need something better than that. So, so you don't use exceptions as a way to stop your program. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just I just wrap them in in a catch and never never show that. That's how I write the perfect code ah, okay. that never that never has any errors. In that's it. right. Well, I like what you said about um, there being two and that being kind of a smell to use. I, I like the uh, the joke that there are two numbers that matter to programmers and those are one and many. <laughs> that's, that's about right. That, that's right. So uh, when it was just try and catch around my business logic call, I could tolerate that. Uh, and I, I don't know. Maybe there are still good good use, uses for that, or good justifications for for that pattern. But once I started throwing additional stuff around it, I realized that okay, uh, I need to to start thinking about that. This is truly a uh, cross cutting concern, and that just a slightly different mindset. Because when we look at our code and we see that something needs to be wrapped uh, around this piece of code, we just start wrapping around that piece of code. And we start doing it all over, and that's essentially a code stink right there, right there, and it's an anti-pattern. And the answer to this is uh, aspect-oriented approach to this, which means that aspect-oriented approach allows us to throw in additional functionality, auxiliary functionality, on top of existing calls to a business logic. But okay, so let me let me stop you there though. So. Uh, there were already some aspect libraries out there, though. W- what was different about yours? Like, where did you see the need okay. to... You, you saw that there was some void out there that needed to be filled. You mean besides not wanting to uh, to learn what other people did and rather do it myself? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
Um, I was kind of hoping there might be some other reason. Yes, there were some other reasons. I just wanted to to create a um, f- a very simple AOP framework that is very uh, very friendly to feature function developers or to mid level de- developers. I wanted to create something that could be used uh, by um, architects to just put it as as a pattern, and that any and mid-level developers could easily pick up on that and just follow the pattern. So that was one thing why I felt that existing framework are either too complex or maybe a little bit too simplistic or maybe not ready out of the box to do that. Uh, another another reason was I really wanted to uh, to use Link and make it Link-friendly and uh, to some extent even Link-centric. And I felt that uh, there is no such framework that is uh, pretty much Link-centric. Um, so I come up with my own. Um, uh, I wrote it f- fairly quickly. First time, uh, like uh, f- about a year ago, I st- I done something similar to that, but it was first time, first cut, not terribly clean. So this time around, just just around like Thanksgiving vacation, spending time uh, with my family, and also sne- like uh, sneak away a little bit. Uh, f- I think you spent more time with your computer. But my family was around, so I think it counts. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a public area. I was in a mm. like uh, I was programming at the kitchen counter, so <laughs> everyone could still th- see me. So, uh, 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 and that's how I started. Uh, how I started a spectacular, and uh, what I wanted to do is just make it relatively simple, make it link centric, and make sure the 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 most important feature I think in a spectacular is that. Uh, it can intercept any any method, not just virtual, not just instance, but uh, also well, static methods. Yeah, so I was going to ask, is it interceptor or injection? Uh, it's like definitely... Weaving or, or runtime? Uh, it, it's runtime. It's uh, interception. So um, you supply your method as uh, as a uh, anonymous delegate, or to be more specific, as an anonymous, anonymous delegate um, expression tree. Mm-hmm. So that sounds fancy, but when I look at it, you know, it basically just like looks like a kind of a standard lambda call to me, right? It is, yes. It's just a standard lambda call, and that that's all there is to it. So essentially, you you um, instead of calling s- like object dot method, you say object dot get proxy dot method, or for a static uh, uh, for a static situation, for a static method, you will call aop dot invoke. And then you you basically call the lambda on a static method. So this makes it sound like it's uh, the aspects are applied at a more granular level, though. Yeah, you you actually get more control w- uh, of where and when your aspects are applied. So um, in in some frameworks, for example, when you um, use IL uh, injection for uh, for your um, aspects, you uh, imagine few call few methods. That call each other, and those few methods are all augmented by aspects. You will see the the aspects for uh, outer method calls, then you will see uh, method, uh, aspects called for the inner method. But in in um, aspectacular, you can apply it just, for example, to to the very top call, and everything inside will not have aspects imply uh, aspects applied to them. Yeah, and I really like that, actually. I was reading a little bit about PostSharp and how it's got kind of like a, in the middle of a method, um, a, a way you can do some injection there. And I thought that was pretty weird because I feel like if you're injecting into the middle of a method, then maybe that method's too big. And one of the interesting things, too, that I liked, and, and I can't remember going through all these things, but 
in the aspectacular, you can call a method and apply the aspects that you want at the time that you call it. It's whereas very explicit. Lot, whereas a lot of the other frameworks, you basically say that this method gets these aspects. And yep. so no matter where it's called. Or, or a namespace. Right. Or an and assembly. So wherever it's called, they always use those same ones. Whereas in Aspectacular, one of the selling features to all of us when we were looking at it was, oh, wow, if I want to call um, you know, uh, print person right now or get person right now, I can I can say okay I want to log it here because there's a certain type of person using it but over here in this other space I don't want to log it because I don't care these people shouldn't have to be logged so you can literally throw in the aspects that you want in the place where you want to throw them in so you can change that up on the fly whereas a lot of the other frameworks are oh you're calling get person well you're going to get logging you're going to get this and you're going to get this and that's what you get yeah. so and that, that that's essentially the main uh, differentiator I think between the um, IL weaving uh, proxies like PostSharp and dynamic proxies like uh, like Aspectacular or Castle, uh, it, it's because uh, the application of uh, a- aspects is very explicit. You tell when and, and where because you as a developer know why you're doing it there. So there is nothing implicit there. It gives you better control, and it also, I think, gives you a little bit more predictable execution execution path. But so, I like that. But you mentioned uh, Castle, though. Castle is limited to virtual functions. That's correct. That's correct. They they have different types of uh, of interception. Uh, they intercept uh, virtual methods or um, uh, method of classes that are that are subclassing the Marshall by ref. But because a spectacular a spectacular uses um, expression tree and uh, it, expression tree in lieu of um, uh, anonymous delegate. That's why I can facilitate the interception of just about of actually any method. Yeah, I think my two favorite things looking at Aspectacular is that uh, one, it is very explicit. I I'm not a big fan of conventions based stuff. You know, maybe I'm old school, but I like that I can see exactly what's happening. And also, I think a big part of um, having it be kind of explicit and set right there is that it's really add easy to add to existing applications, brownfield applications. I can go in there, I can add exactly what I want to. I don't have to worry about things getting applied when I don't want them to be or, you know, having to kind of reorganize my, my application so I can get some of those benefits like applying aspects to a whole namespace or whatever. I can use my application as it is, kind of poke these little hole throughs, holes through and, you know, refactor away. Yeah, essentially, yep, yep. That's exactly where the value comes from because uh, if, you, if you simply start calling your business logic or down methods or web service methods through a spectacular proxy, you don't even need to add any aspects up front. You don't need to think about them right now. You just create, just start this pattern. Make sure that you wrap all your inter-tier calls uh, into the ARP proxy, and you can think of ev- everything else later when the boss comes yelling at you that it's slow, uh, or you need to log exception, or you need to do audit trail, or you need to retry, or so on and so forth. You can start adding it and creating aspects is also exceedingly simple. Yeah, and you mentioned creating aspects, but uh, it looks like he's all, you've also got a lot of um, really nice built-in aspects that kind of come along with the project. Can you talk a little bit about some of those? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the uh, the aspect, spectacular framework uh, is uh, is coming with just uh, with more than a handful um, aspects out of the box. Uh, it has uh, if you guys uh, just 
care to clone the uh, aspect from Git, GitHub, you will see uh, in the aspects folder, you'll see a whole bunch of things that, that have to do with, with transaction. For example, when you, when you uh, wrap your anti-framework um, call, you, you can, for example, uh, dump the TSQL code that, that this um, anti-framework query or link query will be translated to. You can do retries. You can see you, you can do uh, output of logging to debug or to trace. Uh, so whole bunch of things are already there. Caching is done in a pretty pretty decent manner. I think uh, it's it's done on a on a fair fair amount of depth. Claims authentication. If you're for example, if you if you have a web application and you call in your anti framework or you call any kind of dial web service, and you need to do authorization on the business logic, which is another pattern that is. Uh, easily implemented and enabled by AOP. Uh, I already have an aspect that will do authorization. Essentially, you just throw throw a few attributes on top of of your method that you want to authorize and tell them, okay, I want uh, I want these uh, user uh, roles to be uh, required for this method to be called. And all you need at that point is uh, your principal and your uh, identity be flo- flown in in a matter that is just simply supported <coughs> sorry by uh, by .NET framework. Yeah, that's incredibly powerful because if you think about how it's typically done on pages, I mean, talk about the additional code smell that you generally see thrown on top of a page. Hey, is he this? Is he this? Is he this? Does he have access to this? Being able to put in that that uh, authentication or authorization at that level is beautiful because now you're just basically passing in a few additional aspects and it's, yeah, it's mo- easy. Yeah, in most cases when you see a pretty well done authorization, uh, the best thing I saw so far is uh, applying authorization um, attributes on the uh, MVC controller in, in ASP.NET. It's already a pretty good start, but if you want a, a second line of defense, if you want authorization on your business logic, that's where IOP is really uh, is really a great thing to have because uh, it can be done in a very declarative way and very clean way. And I like that a lot for testing too, because now I can test my security and my business logic in isolation, and I can make changes to them in isolation without having to you know refactor or rejigger stuff. Yeah, absolutely. If you, for example, uh, if you imagine that your caller tiers like web web application tier or testing tier or your web service tier have different authentication and authorization mechanisms then when you call the uh, the business logic you may want different types of authorization to take place before you do that and it's it's it would be very hard and messy to do it straight in the code and very easy to do it with AOP and even easier to do it with Aspectacular because Aspectacular allows you to change the set of of aspects you throw on top of the business logic method when and where you do that. So one of the key points uh, and key design goals for Aspectacular was ability to apply different set of set of ask, uh, aspects depending on what your caller tier is because they usually will have different, like, for example, testing and web service tier. Will so just so everybody understands how big that is, he's basically saying you've got a function out there or a method out there that, that does something important. Um, you can call that. You don't have to create multiple different versions of that method to handle the different authorizations at that time. All you have to do is throw in the aspect that you need at that time for that various authorization. So if you have a customer service agent versus a um, a salesperson, right? The customer service agent should have more access potentially to something, and that and that sales rep would have less. 
but you can call that same method now and just throw in the different aspects and you're not writing any more code. You're just passing in the aspect that you need for that authorization. So that's fantastic. I mean, that reduces your footprint and your complexity like greatly now. So mm-hmm. in, in the second version of, of a spectacular one, uh, one um, aspect that I'm, I'm going to add there is the aspect that changes the attributes on the uh, T-SQL command when you execute it. It throws a, f- a few of those, you know, set, erase abort, uh, set, and null plus null equals null kind of things. Those attributes that execute the same query much faster in SQL Management Studio compared to uh, if, you, if you time the same function call from your um, application, usually you'll you notice that it will go much slower in your application compared to Visual Studio. And then if you start searching why, you see that they have these fancy attributes. Uh, and imagine you already written the entire business logic tier that doesn't do that. How do you in- just inject there? Without aspects, very difficult. You inject with aspects, your your performance goes like twi- twice as fast now. So are you talking about on the actual SQL call, you'll have a pre-SQL script that you can have it run and then a post-SQL script? Oh. Uh, at this point, it's just pre-SQL script. Okay, well, hey, fair enough. I mean, we yeah. could, hey, th- all right, so there's part of the wish <laughs> I list. I think uh, Al- <laughs> Alan's got some scope creep coming for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm definitely a fan of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, Actually, I already thought about post as well because, you know what, what, what else is cool? I, I, like, I, I was talking with, with, uh, with a coworker of mine like a year ago, and when I was just excited about AOP and all this stuff, it kind of opened my eyes how cool it is. And I told him, can you imagine what you can do with aspects? I told him, you can create an aspect that will analyze the execution plan of your T-SQL and f- look for things like uh, table, table scans, for example. Yep. You, can, you can throw a, per, a, a log where you'll show, okay, this bunch of queries have table scans, and that's why they suck. <laughs> this is my kind of programmer right here. Why? Because he loves SQL. <laughs> so, so well, okay. okay. Well, he's aware of SQL. Then <laughs> he's not afraid of it. Right, right. Yeah. So, so then uh, you you mentioned like how excited you got, um, you know, when you, when you're first getting into AOP. Now that you have gotten into it and you, you you've created this project, like, what's your perspective of it since? Has it changed any? Is like, has that love affair kind of dwindled away now that you've uh, it's become more work since no, you've gotten no, into the project? No, no, I, I am I I have the uh, I use it and proselytize it with, a f- uh, with with being like a new fervent convert into this. I don't understand why not everyone is rewriting their business business logic and dull tears with that as we speak, because I think there is no justification for not having it. And if anybody doesn't know what a doll tier is, he's talking about the data access layer. Yeah, I'm sorry for all the TLAs. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. Uh, I'm sorry, that was the EFGs. And, and, then the, and then the BALs are your business access layer. So, yeah, I, um, I don't know if anybody's pointing any of that out, but I, I'm sure that we have some people that probably are a little bit newer to this, so hopefully that helps out a little bit. So, yeah. okay, I want to get started with that spectacular. What do I need to do? How, what, what's that process look like? Well, uh, it's uh, it's very simple. You just um, add the spectacular either as as a NuGet package or as a submodule if you use Git. Uh, you can you can pull it from GitHub. Just uh, search for spectacular, and you include it in your project. And then once you uh, once you add the reference uh, to spectacular, all you need to do is add it as a using name namespace. 
Uh, it's just a spectacular, nothing else. Once you edit a spectacular as a using namesta- uh, name, namespace, uh, you can just start using it. And uh, in order to use it for a for a static method, you just say aop.invoke, and then you pass your method that you want to, to get intercepted as a lambda. And if you have a instance uh, method that needs to be intercepted, you say... Um, you instantiate the instance of the object, and then you call instance dot get proxy dot and pass uh, dot invoke and pass the lambda of the method you want to intercept. Um, and uh, finally, uh, an- another kind of bonus is if your method is a an instance method of the class that is idisposable, you can actually implement the idisposable uh, instantiation and disposing in just one shot. For example, that's very useful for um, anti-framework where all context. All, yeah, uh, that's that's something I really I cannot I cannot get my OCD pass uh, pass that. Uh, I can dig that. Yeah, <laughs> having to instantiate DB context and then get rid of it even through using curly braces is still too much for me. I yeah. I cannot I don't want to do that. So what w- what's possible with uh, with a spectacular is. Uh, instantiation, like um, implicit instantiation and destruction, disposing of um, i-disposable objects and still calling a method on that. Do you uh, know how many hours of my life I've lost trying to figure out where to put my DB contexts? Yeah, that that can t- t- that can turn in a in a holy war, brother against the brother. Where, <laughs> where, where do you uh, instantiate the the DB context? How long you you let it live? I I prefer to instantiate and kill it instantly where I call it by the color th- uh, by the color uh, tier. All right, so tell me this though, because one of the things that that we spoke about actually shortly after I met you that kind of opened my eyes to iQueryable mm-hmm. was the Web fact server. that you can instantiate a DB context, and if you have that thing available at the time that you call, let's say a method that says get get people, and then you have another one that says get orders, but then you want to join those two things together. In the standard way, as Joe pointed out a second ago, if you try and instantiate your your DB context in the get people, and and then you return the iQueryable, it's done. You can't use that anymore. Right. And then when you say get orders, you even though you have two iQueryables, you can't join them together because the DB context is closed and it's going to fail. So right. do you have a do you have a way of being able to say, you know, hey, here's I, I want my DB context. All right, now I want to call two methods and join them together. Do you have a way to wrap that? Yeah, the, uh, to, to me, uh, there are two, two ways to do it. One one way that I usually practice is to write all the DAL and BL method as as instant method of DB context itself. Uh, thankfully, DB context and object context are partial classes. So you can create on your own file and you can start stashing your DAL and BL methods right there as instant methods. So, and to, to improve on that, you also return iQueryables. Whenever you read data, I'm not talking about uh, updating and saving and insertion, but when you read data, always return iQueryable. I no matter what, return iQueryable because that allows you to call and join on it. It's just important to remember that iQueryable is not the result set. It's still just a, a statement. All right, but using your aspect, how would you go about doing that? So if you if you call something that's going to instantiate your DB context and then you want to call these two different methods, is there a way to chain those before closing out your DB context? 
you you can you, you still um, uh, it's important to to know that uh, when you call a spectacular, you can only pass one single method to it. You cannot okay. pass curly braces and fifteen methods inside. Okay, it should be actual um, method um, method signature. Okay, so. Uh, when you do that, it means that your business logic that you want to augment through AOP will need to go into a single method, which is already a pretty good pattern. We're just enforcing it. Uh, once you wrap your DAO-BL logic into a single method, that method should stay uh, an instant method of the DB, DB contacts if you just have one one database. Uh, there are more complex uh, cases that are also supported by Spectacular. For example, if you, ha if you have multiple databases, if you have o OLTP and you have your warehouse database, which is pretty common, there is another class that wraps uh, wraps that around. So you can create um, uh, instant methods that go to two databases, and when you implement that method, both connections are already available to you. Nice. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but the pattern that that works the best with Spectacular is this: uh, implement your your uh, anti-framework Dell and uh, BL methods as instance, or at the very, very least, implement them as extension methods that take DB contacts that is already created. Uh, there is a special type, of, a special um, subclass for the proxy that deals specifically with uh, DB contacts and object contacts that will instantiate them, and it will allow you to call your method that returns as a spectacular. So instead of doing something like instance of of db context dot get proxy dot call your method dot to list, you can say create the uh, create the proxy for db context, and then instead of call dot invoke, you say dot list or <laughs> dot single, and you pass uh, a function as a parameter that returns uh, iQueryable. I know somebody who's a fan of that already. Yeah, I, I you had me at I. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I thought you hated that they started with I. It's in the middle. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, don't get me started. But he likes the list feature. <laughs> yeah. Well, he'll convert that to an innumerable. <laughs> yeah, you know, I like that you're uh, you're pitching I queryable because uh, I'm often I'm often struggling with whether to return an I innumerable to I list. So just I queryable, and I can stop thinking about it, right? Yeah, basically, I, I think that everything uh, that that requires a uh, wire trapping should be done in the color in the color tier, not in in the tier where you actually implement that. So it should be postponed to the very last possible minute. Uh, when, when you actually start pulling the data out of the database, because this way you you reduce the number of round trips, and you can generate a you, you have an opportunity of generating very ugly T SQL in, in the process. Or basically, the last responsible moment. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And by the way, same goes for save calling the save changes. Um, uh, a spectacular class that that uh, is specifically de uh, designed for for working with anti framework will call save changes <coughs> for you. So you don't have to to do save changes after you insert delete updates. You you still may do that if you absolutely have to. But again, that's the same as stripping the wire. It should be done by the caller, and uh, save changes the same way. I think. Cool. So so if I want to create my own aspects using Aspectacular, mm -hmm. what what do I what's what do I need to do? Uh, simply a subclass aspect class that's already in in the um, Aspectacular aspect class has seven. Uh, virtual methods that represent different stages of life in the 
in the function call. So when you mentioned the pre and post before with the SQL, so th- there would be like a pre-step and a post-step that would be one of those seven? Exactly, yeah. So it, it's basically, they, they can be roughly split into groups that happen before and after, and some of them happen only when uh, error co- uh, exception occurs, and some of them happen in, in either case, and some of them happen, happen only if uh, successful successful call occurs. Seven's a lot. Seven, uh, that's that's yeah, a lot of interception I points. Started, I started with like four, and then as I would keep, kept working on it and trying to, if, for example, when you when you try to implement fairly uh, hairy logic, for example, like retries, well, and then you get into something, do I do retry, do I allow retries only on exception, or do I also retry, allow retries on successes? And that requires different type of uh, interception. So, <clears throat> um, yeah. And one thing I really like, I'm actually looking at the interface I aspect right now. Um, one of my favorite things about Glad's code is very explicit. So when you look at these um, these interception points, it's very clear when it runs and exactly what it's doing. I mean, he's got names in here like step one b- before resolving in- instance. Yeah, I was I was going to run through a couple of these names just to uh, make it clear to everybody. Like I was going to ignore the step one parts. But uh, yeah, so you have the before resolving instance, before trying method exec, before uh, massaging returned result, uh, after successful call completion. And that's an optional one. Yeah, so that, yeah, that was I was going to call, call that come back to that as a question. But uh, after catching method uh, exec exception, finally after method execution, after instance cleanup, and step seven, after everything said and done. Yeah, I, I love that's that. That's my favorite method name. Yeah. After everything's said and done. And that method usually... If only there was a method, like a step eight at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> wow. well, Alan should create a fork of that. Yeah, yeah, I got it. So, so okay, so Joe Joe hinted on one that I was, I was wanting to bring up because some of these uh, steps in the uh, interface de- um, uh, contract here, some of them are marked as optional in the name of the method. But aren't they really all, you know... They're all kind of optional, right? Well, yeah, optional in this context means that they may not be uh, they may not be called depending on the execution path. Okay, so uh, okay. optional uh. are not guaranteed to be called. Uh, uh, also, I okay. prob- technically so so an example there then to 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 illustrate what Vlad's talking about is one of them as you heard me say was after catching a method exec exception. Well, if it doesn't throw an exception, then there's not going to be. A call to that method. Exactly. Yeah, same goes for a successful call completion because you may not get that either. Whoa, 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 whoa. Six. Oh, well, it could, be, it could be returning void or something, right? Or it could be a no, void. No, it could be, could be an exception. And then you don't get yeah, success. Yeah, he's saying, he's oh, saying it did, success. It, it the inverse, successful. right, fair right. enough. And that's why I'm like saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. My code, <laughs> come on now. T- technically, yeah. step one is also should be called optional because uh, when you call static method, there is no resolving of the instance. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and so all the other steps, like they might do nothing, but they all get called. Pretty much, yeah. Step two is probably the most popular because that's right before you call the method. And step five, finally, after method execution, where whether that was a success or failure, that, that is fairly a uh, very useful one. And finally, step seven, after everything said is, is said and done, is a very good place to ship your call log. So basically, for anyone who's following along there that's really big into the <coughs> design patterns, this is a template pattern uh, that's being used here and in, in deep within the bowels of the 
a spectacular framework. And you're gonna. I didn't know. I didn't know that. I'm so fancy. I'll put. You, I'm putting it in my resume. <laughs> <laughs> I have. I have the template pattern. You're gonna. You know. You the caller can implement the this as this uh, interface and provide in the hooks that it may or may not call. Yeah, so Vlad's defined the skeleton here, and it's up to you to exactly. kind of fill it in where you need yep. it. Yep. If you clone the project, <clears throat> sorry, if you clone the project from uh, GitHub and look at, uh, um, at the aspect folder, you will find a file called uh, Simple Stock Aspects. It has like four different aspects implemented. They are not dummy or example aspects. They are real useful aspects, and uh, like for these classes only took about 100 lines of code altogether to implement them. So you, you can definitely see how different aspects are implemented. And you can look at a whole bunch of aspects that are already there to see, to follow the pattern, to implement them. One thing I would like to mention is that um, um, when, when you develop your own aspect, you should not be logging uh, to any specific, specific logger like trace or debug or log for net or event log or anything like that. Uh, proxy and aspects allow you to log into the call context. So your method when it's intercepted has access like like you have access to HTTP context, right? Whenever you are in HTTP uh, process, uh, HTTP request handling, you have this access to the HTTP context. It will have something in it that you can work with. The same goes for logging. When you are inside the intercepted method, you can log to the proxy. Proxy has a collection of log items that grows as you log. It doesn't go into any specific uh, output stream like std debug or std out, anything like that, std error. It just gets uh, accumulated in the collection, and then the collection later can be taken by another aspect and either thrown into the output, in your test context, in your in your log format, and whatnot. That's really powerful. I mean, it, 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 it takes away the need to log specifically different ways in your aspects, right? You can yeah. get it after the fact is basically what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. The, and this is kind of a design flaw that I may fix at some point because really most of your aspects don't either have to write to the log collection or to read from it to, to send it to somewhere for for uh, for looking at it but it's not implemented that way in the, in the aspect or so well l- l- so <laughs> you kind of hit on something that we were wanting to get to is like we've already mentioned this is on hosted on github already but uh so if others want to contribute to this like w- I mean, what kind of suggestions do you have is there already a list that you're maintaining of uh issues that you want to get to like what you just mentioned or well, I'm not terribly disciplined. Uh, I'm, I, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay. Let's I've seen your variable names. <laughs> I write the web server. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's not disciplined at all. Right. No, I'm not uh, very disciplined in making plans and following the plans. I, I, I've, I'm kind of very, I, I'm driven by the, the spur of the moment thoughts. So, uh, that may make collaboration a little harder, but I, I certainly encourage uh, sending me pull requests by all means. Please take a look at, at how I do things so it's more or less in the same vein. So it would be easy for me to, to review and, uh, and merge. Um, I, w- I will appreciate uh, useful aspects a lot because that's the, where the value for the community out there uh, will probably come the most. 
And uh, well, I feel like we should also mention too, though, that if people are going to contribute, like what license does this fall under? Oh, it's MIT. It's like do whatever kind of license. Yeah, that's, that's with attribution. That's absolutely yes. a huge thing. Um, also, I do want to point out because we had a discussion on this previously. Is uh, Vlad was worried about getting this out there to the world because he hasn't documented it properly and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I will say, like, if you just open up this this solution and you take a look through his unit tests and that kind of stuff, it will. It, and if you pull it from GitHub, you'll get all that. Uh, you can actually see really easy ways of going about doing this. So it's almost self-documenting. And I will say, like, he has done a tremendous job on commenting the code as well. So. Uh, as as Michael just pointed out a minute ago with the, the steps and the aspects, I mean, they're named in a way that you understand, but to even take it a step further, he has the proper, like, documentation comments within the code. So he has his summaries and, and all that. So while it may not have the official documentation and all that stuff yet, it's actually done in a way to where pretty much any competent programmer, even at a fairly novice level, could pick this up and run with it. But we should also mention, too, I don't, I don't know if this has been mentioned yet, but because oh, we've said several times that it's available on GitHub, but if you wanted it as a NuGet package, it is available yes. uh, as yeah, a NuGet package yes. as well. And speaking of contribution, uh, documentation is also a uh, contribution, so I'm sure if you <laughs> want to write some... Uh, uh, if somebody is going to uh, to add a Doxygen generator into the, uh, into the solution, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll be merged first. And that's a great way to kind of... <laughs> <laughs> that takes priority. Yeah, that's a great way to kind of learn the project too. So go through, write some stuff, uh, and there yeah. you go. You've you've contributed to open source. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and thank you, Alan, for pointing it out because it kind of almost uh, uh, departed from my mind that I, uh, that the unit test is probably the best way to get into it because it will show you very uh, like the basics of how it's done and it's really easy to do. And, and he's got several in there. I think there were, what, 20, no, 40, 41 tests passed when I ran this. So um, he's got he's got examples in there of real-world type stuff. This isn't just, hey, you can call this code. These, these are things that are using the AdventureWorks database. So if you're going to be working on a project that's using a database, then you can actually see real-world examples of how this would work. So... Uh, you know, definitely, if you plan on using this, before you go asking a ton of questions and all that, it, at least poke into the unit test and take a look around. Well, well, speaking of that, I mean, some of the unit tests that are in there are, are performance-minded yep. type tests, like how long did this SQL call call? Like, what's your thoughts on, from a performance point of view? So so you've written Aspectacular, right? But then we mentioned, like, uh, PostSharp, for example, the IL weaving. So there's already... Uh, you know, this is another holy war. Is so like, well, from a performance point of view, uh, which path to go down? Well, uh, I designed uh, the the specific design goal for me here was to enable easier um, creation of business logic, web service calls, and data access calls, and those are relatively relatively slow. So I uh, I chose the um, um, I, I chose the expression tree parsing. As uh, as the weaving mechanism, uh, it's relatively slow because it's it's parsing completion of um, of the expression tree. Although it's uh, it, it has some tricks to to make it faster, um, uh, but um, so that is that is relatively slow. But still, uh, com- uh, if you uh, I had the overhead comp- um, overhead calculation uh, for, for a typical 
even for very fast database that is running locally and running uh, running on SSD and has small tables, still the the uh, overhead may be like five percent. Uh, uh, the only the only caveat here is if you start logging the uh, actual values of of the method mm-hmm. that were passed to you, those are going through the evaluation process. So and that evaluation process involves uh, reflection. So All right. So what kind of hit do you take on the performance there? It really depends on the number of the parameters okay. because it it directly proportional to the number of parameters. So it it can go to like like few few milliseconds basically but it's still it's still something it's not nothing right. but in a great scale scale of things it's it's a very very modest hit and and just to be clear i mean if you're going to go through and just automatically dump all your parameter values out you should be aware that you're going to take a hit anyways because that's not something you typically do anyways yeah so. but but uh, think about it like uh, um Expression tree compilation is still something that that occurs when you do the uh, conversion to link of mm-hmm. yours. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, conversion of link to T-SQL, for example, right? So, so those relatively slow things that happen in your in your software in your program they still take place. And uh, I just thought that it's uh, it's uh, a pretty small price to pay for uh, making it convenient. And uh, as I said. The mm, I was not really trying to create absolute general purpose type of AOP framework. I was trying to make life simpler for those who who do these day to day writing of business logic, who do who call uh, who call web service and so on. Well, I mean, let's also think about it from this perspective too, right? Like, uh, how much does it cost to upgrade a server versus how much does it cost to have a programmer going and copying and pasting code all over the place to finally create this spaghetti code only to have to manage it a year down the road. Yeah, I seriously so, doubt the AOP is going to be what kills your application. Right. So, it, it, again, he's being very honest in his description of the actual performance hit that it takes, but at the end of the day, a 5% hit on milliseconds is ridiculous, right? Like, it's it's almost nothing. So, you know, just just take it in, you know, in context to what he's speaking about. So, And he's actually got, you know, tests set up in there specifically for measuring performance. So uh, you can take these tests, run it, and see what you get. Yeah, and I mean, it's funny. I know we sound kind of like cheerleaders for this, but it's it's... He's done such a thorough and good job with it that it's, I mean, that's why we had him on the show, because he, he really has put a lot of thought and effort into this. Like the caching, the caching mechanism came up because, you know, Outlaw was like, well, what about caching? <laughs> He's like, you know what? Let's, we'll add it. So, I mean, it's it's one of those things where he's really taken to heart all this stuff and, and I mean, has just done a killer job. So, um yeah, you know, I'll, I'll quit my hoorah thing. And uh, <laughs> I want to come back to uh, Thank testing. Thank you very much. <laughs> I want to come back <laughs> to uh, testing again real quick because I've got this um, kind of unhealthy uh, fascination with unit testing. <laughs> but uh, it Is seems there to a me, such thing? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I was just being humble. <laughs> But uh, it seems to me like this is a, a a really great project where you really need unit tests in order to see that this stuff's working. I mean, I can't imagine what it'd be like to to try and work and create aspects if you weren't able to to test them so easily. Well, uh, uh, after you run after you write a web server that is multi-threaded and runs <laughs> on on Korean, German, Russian, uh, Windows of Windows XP seven Vista. 3264 in every imaginable scenario and if you want it to live 
and yeah. not become the the uh, the thing that destroys your family and your life and your sleep. <laughs> you you need to make it right. <laughs> so actually, this one was not that terrible. The, the, this well, project was relatively easy, right? Because really. uh, he does it for fun. <laughs> so, yep, it is fun, <laughs> right? Yeah. Why I mean, why do we all do this <laughs> for money? Know. Come on. <laughs> I know I ride a web server like once a day, just yeah, you know, yeah. to pass the time. Oh, well, but back to Joe's point though. So, like the unit test, like if uh, we we haven't done an episode on it yet, but we plan on in the future. Uh, these are great examples of how to write your unit tests. Oh, so, they, this is not a great example. It's just an. I think it's an example because it does not do the the. Um, the the whole thing the hundred percent coverage at all uh, okay well yeah. but they're, but they're all right all yeah. right so this is an example if you're not going to do a hundred percent coverage right but you want to get some tests done right yeah I can't see how you would work on it without being able to test I mean are you going to create a little console app to try to test out a new aspect or no, an interception no, point not. yeah yeah it's, it's it's totally impractical right yeah unit unit tests a great thing and um, because uh, it's it's a relatively closed system it does not rel- rely on huge ecosystem that needs to be in place in order to be tested so unit tests they're also they they provide i mean you don't need really an integration test here because all these pieces are true true units if you test test them through unit test you're pretty much golden uh your quality is going to be there that's great so uh well speaking of good practices uh, i wanted to mention something that uh i ran across that's uh, definitely not a good practice that's a, as soon as i got my hands on Aspectacular, the first thing i tried to do was something that's uh, pretty inappropriate for <laughs> aspect oriented programming and what i was trying to do is basically sanitize some output i was being lazy and, and i talked to vlad about this and and uh you convinced me it wasn't a great idea and uh, i wanted to see um, what you thought about like uh, basically, other way, other ways that you could misuse AOP, and if you've seen or heard anyone ask for maybe an aspect that was just not a great idea. So when we're talking about sanitized output, we're talking about like taking a SQL results and trying to turn it into an HTML table or something. Well, right? for me, just- I wanted to like chop off some numbers off a decimal. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm tired of doing, dealing with this rounding crap. Just two digits right here. Well, you know, keep it on my BL. I, but you I, could so, do so, it. So dirty uses of AOP is the question on the table. Though. Yes. I it, got it working. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, once you get in the mindset of, oh, I can change what was returned to me because, right. yeah, and even with uh, a spectacular, you are able of doing that. For example, when, when, we, when I return the um, iQueryable, and my proxy all of a sudden returns the list to you instead of iQueryable. Something happens inside, right? So you know that it's possible to actually play around a little with what was returned to you by the function that was called. So, yeah, you can go ahead and start tweaking the return result, but that is a bad idea. Right. Yeah, it's re- you're really messing with your business logic at that point. At that, exactly. And you're supposed to be decorating. Yes. You're supposed to be adding these aspects. You're not supposed to be really modifying the results. Exactly. As, as and that's ex- that's precisely what I told uh, Joe when we when when he asked me is is it a good thing and I said kind of eh. It looks like it's business logic. So business logic belongs in a business logic, not in aspect. Aspect is just an, it's a bolt on. Yeah, it's total bolt on. It's uh, something that you. It's an afterthought, but it's not. It's, your business logic should not be an afterthought. Right. And ever since that conversation, I've been trying to figure out like what else I can cheat on, and <laughs> how else can this be misused? <laughs> yeah. 
But uh, and actually, um, another thing I, we talked about this a bit, but I just wanted to kind of mention that something else that um, I tried to misuse about the framework is uh, I wanted to log something to a database, and so you know the first thing I did was write an aspect that would take in the, the arguments and uh, would write it to the database. And uh, you know, as Vlad mentioned, the the log collection, I wanted to see if I could kind of put it in my own words, and you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But it's basically a collection of strings that I can throw my data into, and then later. I can actually write something to pluck the relevant data out and do the logging from there. That way, rather than this being something that's specific to like writing to the database, I can write to the database as well as log it to disk or do something else with that information. Yeah, exactly. When when you uh, when the proxy calls the the method that needs to be intercepted and augmented, uh, it the proxy itself keeps a collection of log items. And that collection can be populated through methods. Either uh, so, proxy itself puts data in in this collection. <clears throat> Aspects can put data in that collection. And collection by key value. So I, I've got a key there that I can use to kind of pull this data yeah, out. Yeah, it's it's key value, but it has two additional uh, attributes on it. It it tracks who who put it there, like what method proxy Perfect. or or aspect, and it also has the the traditional uh, warning info and error. Uh, attribute on top of that. So when when you create an aspect that needs to, for example, report only errors, it can just pull errors. But it also has keys. For example, you you'll you'd be able your you'd be able to select only records that interest you and send them to either a debug or log phonet or whatever else. Yeah, so when he was talking about the log shipping earlier all that means is after you've gathered all the stuff that came out of the aspect, then you ship it to whether the database or a log file or wherever you want to put it. But that's what he was talking about. He has all the stuff, but then after you get it all back, you determine what you, where you want to put it. Don't put it in your aspects because you don't you don't really want to create an aspect called log to database and then another one log to file and then another one log to whatever. Absolutely. You, you just want you want the information out of it, and then you can decide what you want to do with it later, and then you can swap it out easy. Absolutely. If you look at uh, at stock uh, aspects that already implemented, for example, there are a couple of them. One is uh, taking the log and putting it in a debug output, and another one is putting it in trace output. So you can take a look and see how they're done. It's just a few lines of code for each, and that gives you an idea how you can uh, spit it out to Logfonet, how you can spit it out to Splunk, or how to spit it out to... Uh, Windows event log, for example. Very cool. I got um, I got a question I just thought of now, and, and this is the dumb question, but this is the kind of stuff that I really get hung up on. <laughs> so, if I'm writing my own custom aspects for my application, where do you think I should put those aspects? Like, do you think I should have like a folder at the top level called aspects, or you know, should be should be mm. its own project? Well, aspects uh, in in most cases, well, it's a tough one because. It really depends how useful your aspect for other tiers, for other color tiers. Uh, you probably, uh, if you come up with an aspect that is is useful for multiple different tiers, you can put in some place where, um, maybe even the same place where your business logic is, I mean, the same project, maybe. Mm-hmm. But it's a good one. I don't have a perfect answer for but that. But maybe if it's very specific to only a couple of classes, I could put it in that namespace right alongside. Yeah, ma- ma- maybe people who listen to this will come up with better ideas for, for that, hopefully. Yeah, you yeah. can even put it in like just a standalone project that has a reference to it, and then you could use that, right? I That's kind of weird if I only have like two files in there. If you though, only right? have two, right, right. Yeah. Well, but you're already doing a solid program, so you already <laughs> understand all that. Yeah, <laughs> I love lots of projects. <laughs> don't get me started. So, so, you know, looking at the Aspectacular when you pull it down, 
there's this one section called uh, the framework core. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like what, what's what's in there? Yeah, it, it, it's a bunch of freebies and things that I like and need and uh, all sorts of things that I think are missing from the uh, mothership uh, .NET framework. It's not really related to uh, aspects in any way. It's just a whole bunch of convenience classes and types and converters. And uh, for example, uh, ever since the um, extension methods become have become a part of our lives. I thought, oh, there is no place for string dot is is empty or white space or null something like that. <laughs> it it should be an extension method because extension methods, unlike instance methods, allow you to deal with nulls proper properly, right? So you can you can pass this string something and that string uh, string something can be null and you can still uh, call a extension method on the string, for example, even even that string is null. So that's that's where lots of uh, convenience methods come from. So there are tons of convenience methods for for string, for type, for daytime. I created a type called range, which I really miss uh, from uh, uh, th that should have been in a .NET framework, in my opinion. So, so basically, this is the world according to Vlad. Exactly, yes. Things it, that should be there. If I was a benevolent dictator, that's what <laughs> I would put in a .NET framework. This is like your toolbox. Like You show up to work like, all right, I've got my utilities. Yeah, absolutely, because when you when you go from one project to another and you, you need to uh, do something like uh, date range, I and mean, how many times can you do that? Mm -hmm. it's, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, th that is a box that I'm traveling with. That's very cool. Maybe one day we'll see a, a separate project for just you know Vlad's tools. Uh, I, I, <laughs> yeah, maybe. <it's>, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's, be, uh, they already the, it, there. It'll be Wave World According to Vlad. There we go. Oh wow! You you call excellent. You're good. He's a marketing genius. There you go. See, I'm down with EFG, ABC, WAV, <laughs> AOP. All right. I got all that. Since we're putting our, 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 that out there, that's already we can uh, we can claim copyright for that, right? <laughs> uh, under MIT and yeah, yeah. free beer, <laughs> right? What was the beer one? I want oh, the beer a, one. Yeah, I picked the beer one. There's a license there somewhere. And uh, that that really wraps it up for my questions. Yeah, that was uh, that was. Spe speaking of licenses of beers, did did you guys know that uh, someone is making Duff beer? That that no really yeah really oh wow yeah and and they make it somewhere and ship it someplace else because in that there is some kind of loophole that allows them to not to pay Simpsons people for that really wow yeah. so it's not Springfield Illinois or apparently not no 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 no, no. <laughs> I I think it's like made in Mexico and sold in Europe or other way around something like that Springfield Mexico <laughs> wow man lawyers man. that's awesome. Yeah, so this has been uh, quite the entertaining, uh, you know, podcast. Just learning about uh, you know this madness that you've created here for us, and uh, you know, uh, among other sources resources that we like, uh, we'll be putting in the show notes the link to that spectacular. But it is available on GitHub, as we've mentioned, if you were to search for it. But also in that uh, the same vein of aspects, there's a great book that I liked that was called AOP and .NET. Uh, practical aspect-oriented programming by uh, Matthew Groves. It's a Manning publication, so yeah, you can get that I, I, I as well. That get book the soft copies. I you, use that, you did use it. I use that book a lot for for inspiration, and um, uh, it didn't get, get me con uh, convinced. 
to pick one of the two that they will profile there prominently, and namely PostSharp uh, Post and Dynamic Proxy. Uh, it kind of, but it gave me the validation, the reaffirmation that there is still a place for, for my way of of uh, doing aspects, particularly in uh, to make it friendly to uh, to uh, real Americans, people. As as Vlad was mentioning, though, like th- he does a great job of comparing, uh, you know, the author Matthew Groves does a great job though of comparing functionality between the two, and he tries to, um, he he does a very careful dance of. Um, not necessarily uh, letting his his viewpoint of, of picking just the one. He he shows concepts in both, so it was a really good book. Cool. And it is a Manning publication, so uh, keep that in mind. I know some people uh, love and some people hate the covers of Manning books, so you know yeah, you've been warned. You can't get the Kindle like you have to buy the book, and then they'll be like, "Oh, here's a code where you can download it and get the Kindle." Where it's like, I just want to buy the Kindle version, right? I don't, I don't want need, the paperback. I don't need any paper. It's kindling for fire. <laughs> and uh, also, um, one thing I want to mention: uh, we talked a little bit about um, interception frameworks versus injection AOP frameworks. And there's this guy uh, Kenneth Triers who's got some excellent articles on the subject, and he favors um, interception frameworks as well, like Aspectacular. So we'll have a couple links to some articles that he's written that are that are much better spoken than I am. All right. So now let's uh, wait. Is there one more? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah, there was a, a oh look site. at that plural site. I, I feel like we mentioned plural site uh, every episode. It's fantastic. Is it like twenty nine dollars a month and um, all of the <laughs> videos? It's like a buffet of tech knowledge. Yeah, it really is. If you do, if you've never heard of it, you should go check it out. And we don't get any money for mentioning this. It's just for your own benefit. Yeah, it's it's almost like at this point it's just an expense. You know, you just got to deal with it. Yeah, it, you know, we're programmers. It, we make good money. Get Pluralsight. Think about it like this: it would cost you less than one college course to get this thing for a year, and you have access to seriously some of the best programmers in the world d- taking their time to teach you how to program. Like Donald Belcham, who did a course on aspect-oriented programming specific to .NET, and we'll have the the link to that course. Yep. So with that. Let's uh let's get into the tips of the week here. So I found uh you know, a, a really cool Chrome app that I like. It's available as an app and as a uh, uh, an extension, and it's called the Bulk URL Opener. So if you're doing web web development and you have a bunch of test URLs that you just want to be able to hit all at one time, all your different use cases, this is your guy. Because you can just throw them on there. You can you can set options for like uh, uh, to open them up in a new window and and have them all separate. It's fantastic to be able to test multiple use cases at one time. Test heck, I want to be able to hit one button and open up my news, uh, my Reddit, my Reddit, <laughs> maybe slash dot. Well, that that's fine, and of course, you know, like somebody's going to be like, "Oh, you should be doing unit tests." Just so make these sure are more you, like for integration tests. So like, sure open my coffee memory. suite. <laughs> like, open my morning sites. Uh, yeah. Okay. So fine. All right. So uh, my tip of the week is Web Essentials. It's a plugin for Visual Studio, and if you do any kind of web development and you have to mess with JavaScript, CSS, all that kind of stuff, this is a must-have. You can do things like right-click a JavaScript file and have it minify it, and it'll track it. You can the CSS editor on it is absolutely fantastic. Like I hate having to go look up different types of, you know, selector styles and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's all baked in, and they've got a ton of different features. 
And being that I do a lot of web UI type stuff, uh, it is seriously one of my favorite plugins. So that's that's mine. Yep, and I wanted to mention actually a tip that I got out of the fantastic book um, CLR via C Sharp. Uh, one thing I struggle with all the time is actually uh, not using uints more often. It drives me crazy that arrays take integers and not uints, even though negative numbers are invalid. And this is the kind of thing that keeps me up at night. So uh, I feel a little bit better about reading um, so, some quotes from the CLR via C Sharp book. And basically, it kind of boils down to uints not being um, common uh, CLS, uh, which I, I totally blanking on what that stands for now. But it's basically the common language um, system. <laughs> Sounds about right. So, you know, like certain languages like maybe F Sharp or Visual Basic.net may not have support for a uint and end up just converting them to, uh, to ints. And also, um, you're just going to do less casting if you just stick with integers. So, uints are nice and, you know, believe me, I get it, but um, don't feel so bad if you end up breaking down and, and uh, using integers. And we've got a blog post that I wrote a couple years ago where I um, scraped the arguments from CLR via C Sharp. Ever since uint have become my second class citizens in, in .NET, I remember living in C universe. And uh, after migrating to .NET, it's uh, almost like in no man's land. It's like it makes me sad. My my OCD really suffers from that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Like an array, the index is an integer. Negative one is invalid. And my tip of the week, uh, use AOP, would you? <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent tip of the week. All right, so with that, we'll be putting the uh, links in, uh, in the show notes. Uh, you'll be able to find on uh, codingblocks.net slash episode 9. Again, subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And be sure to give us some reviews. That helps us uh, to help others find us so that they can uh, enjoy these shows as well. Yep, and uh, contact us with a question or topic and leave your name and preferred method of shout-out, website, Twitter, whatever, Facebook, and uh, we'll mention you on the podcast, get you some love out there. And uh, a review on iTunes would be greatly appreciated. And you might get multiple shout-outs, like across multiple podcasts. Who knows? So uh, I know there's some listeners out there, and you guys haven't gone in and read it this yet. So uh, visit us at uh, codingblocks.net, where you can find show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And specifically, this one will be www.codingblocks.net slash episode 9. Yep, and make sure to send your feedback, questions, and rants to... Uh, an email address to set up comments at codingblocks.net and also um, come follow us on Twitter we uh, we are pretty chatty on Twitter that would be at codingblocks at codingblocks yep so uh, that wraps it thank you Vlad for joining us thank you guys for having me it was enormous fun uh, awesome awesome yeah this was awesome so uh, that's a wrap Look, Vlad, at lunch today, you weren't there. This man lined up his french fries. Like, lined them up. Okay. And salted and peppered them. Like, lined them up like little soldiers or something. <laughs> it was ridiculous. I don't appreciate that we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs> uh.